Okay, welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals on our continuing coverage of the Satoshi Kon work Paranoia Agent. Uh, this week we're going to be covering episodes four and five. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. Hey, and it's Ben. And we're really excited to have one of our favorite returning guests, a friend of the pod. We have Nate with us today. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> so we just wanted this chance to check in with you, Nate. What's what's going on with your life? Any anything big? Anything? Are you watching anything you really like? Are you reading anything you love? Um, no. Well, <laughs> I'm watching The Last of Us, uh, okay. which is like yeah. the series I guess I'm into right now. I'm recollecting a lot of old comics that I lost during my move here. Uh, mm, I had moved mm. in with my brother and had stuff stored in the shed. So like all my, com- like almost all my comics were damaged. Uh, so I'm oh. replacing all of those now. And it's, it's been fun. Shaman Warrior was first on the list. Uh, excellent manga. Definitely check it out. Super good. It's like the Witcher just with, you know, a cooler guy with a sword. <laughs> So old manga, I imagine that's kind of hard to track down. Yeah, like no one carries it. I found it on Amazon, but no one has like a box set of it. So I've been buying them individually from different like mm. uh, vendors. Uh, so it's it's going slow. Uh, book two just came in. I'm still waiting for book one to get here. And I ordered it a month ago. Oh, a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> And then this series that we're viewing and discussing today, uh, Paranoia Agent, have you seen it before? Do you have any history with it? No. Um, a friend of mine told me it was on Toonami back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I vaguely remember yeah. it being there, but I don't think I ever watched it. Uh, I do like remember seeing like the image of Little Slugger, but not like ever watching the anime. So this is my first run through. Yeah, It's funny. I, I just had a flashback. I'm pretty sure they ran some commercials that were the um, the intro song. Like it was just like people creepily laughing. Yes. And then it'd just be like paranoia <laughs> agent. And I was just like, what is this show? Like, <laughs> but it had some really weird time slot. Like, I feel like it was like, I think it was like the midnight around the late night. Yeah. Like 1 a.m. or something. Yeah when witch hunter robin came on uh okay so you have watched up to these episodes but you're watching these fresh with us today is that right yeah i watched episodes one through three actually i I watched three today uh so these these two will be fresh any insights so far or how do you feel about it so far what do you think about the art style what's going on love the art style um the intro is probably my favorite part of the the whole show it's (laughs) just a a bunch of laughing it's i get excited every time i watch it but um I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, the the most important question is like, what is this show? Right. Name? Like, I'm I'm not sure what's real, what's not. Who's just like, I'm not sure if people are just seeing things. It's does the director even know? I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows. He's just like, just <laughs> put out a new episode every weekend. We'll figure it out like as we go. Mm. But I'm enjoying it. It's it's been a lot of a lot of fun trying to figure out like what's real. Mm-hmm. Well, since you're a comic person, I'll ask you, like, what if this person's just doing like the Stanley style of comic writing? Like they just animate a bunch of shit and then come up with a story to go with it later. <laughs> That's what Ben thinks. That's, That's what he told me doing. privately. Lies. Lies. Satoshi Kone is a genius. He's got it all figured out. Yeah. And by the end of this podcast, we will too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> we always figure it out. We know what every anime is about by the end. I know I said that with Lane. I don't know if we got there quite. I, I feel like we sort of got there. I think we yeah delivered Lane on became, that. Or was the god of the internet of connections? 
we, we yeah. got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, let me do this and we'll get to watching and we'll get to discussing because that's what I want to do is discuss these. These yes. are very exciting. Uh, let's do this. Last time on The Prince and the Prostitute, prodigal schoolboy Ichi was gearing up for a class election, but was hounded by rumors that he might be Lil Slugger. Ichi vented his frustrations by projecting onto his fat and fabulous classmate Ushi. Ushi moved to town after being bullied at his rural school. Though Ichi started to emotionally unravel, Ushi continued to defend him and even became the next target for Lil Slugger while walking Ichi home. Ichi thought this would solve all of his problems, but his paranoia increased to the point of a psychotic break with stunning stylized animation. Cut to our most interesting lead yet, Maria, a successful and fulfilled sex worker who inhabits the same body as Ichi's tutor, Harumi Chono. Maria was living her best life, winding down her career, when Harumi decided to take drastic measures, getting engaged to her boring boss and throwing out all of Maria's possessions. But Maria and the crows would have none of it. In their shared apartment late at night, Harumi and Maria finally manifested in their body simultaneously, and their conflict materialized in a Fight Club-esque scene. Just then, Lil Slugger appeared to help them through this emotional impasse with his signature brand of bat therapy. Is a blow to the head the right form of treatment? Is there a connection between the victims beyond narrative? Will we ever get to see the inciting incidents for these identity crises? Let's find out. Yeah, little slugger is going to like take two of these and call me in the morning. (laughs) So if we've all got our stuff queued up to 131, episode four. All right. Three, two, one, play. What looks like Marumi? That mask. The way it was discarded. It's definitely pink. I wondered why it was Mm -hmm. pink. Okay. So that's a hard one to stop on because I immediately want to watch the next episode. Is it wrong that I'm a little mad that that's the dude who who Mm. caught this kid? No, this episode just kind of puts a nasty taste in your mouth. That that part where that cop is gross, like through and through. But that scene where the little girl comes in and he stops and says, call me daddy, like kind of fucked me up. Because that's the same thing he said to the <laughs> prostitute like earlier. Mm-hmm. Yes, but he's awful. He's experiencing a mental breakdown. He has all of this evidence that he is in deep with like the mafia or something. And yet he's still maintaining this narrative in his head that he's somehow like this manga Uh, lead character right because like eventually the narration of the manga character is narrating shots of him or he's just mimicking the the speech patterns right yeah yeah and i guess yeah we we were sort of talking in previous episodes about how they're all sort of character creators in certain ways right you know we have our actual literal character designer and we this guy sort of fits in maybe like the kid where he's sort of he's created this story around himself or like this where he's like the hero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go through the whole episode, but while we're on the subject of character creation, I think he's created two characters in this. I think, I don't think he has a wife and kid. Hmm. (gasps) You'd think with all of this discussion of them, we would have had one shot with the wife or kid. Or even a photo. Hmm. But he keeps mentioning them. And he really mentions them only as like motivation or a reason why he's doing the things he's doing. But we never actually see them. Hmm. 
So that's just like a story he's told his like boss and coworkers. And I think so. I'm wondering if maybe he used to have a wife and daughter hmm. and something happened and he had a mental breakdown long before this episode happened. And that's why he is unable to come to terms with reality in this episode because he's like very far away from what's actually happening. You know, his head versus what he's actually doing. It, it yeah, also does that like call me dad. Yeah. Call me daddy thing. Is a little mm-hmm. different if you think about it that way, too. Mm. Which to me, the call me daddy thing, especially using it with the prostitutes, I was like, oh, maybe he has this gross like daughter fetish, but maybe he's getting both of his needs met in mm. that moment. He's being sexually gratified by these prostitutes, which is mimicking his relationship with his wife, but he also needs that relationship with his daughter. So he just doubles up mm. and makes them call him daddy, too. Yeah, layering that on top of the sex stuff is really fucking weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very gross. For sure. Just, just go to betterhelp.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't need to do all this. He, he's also sort of like a little bit of a foil for Maria, right? So, you know, we had her as this person, you know, she has like a job, but then at night she's going out and, and has this like double life. But then, you mm-hmm. know, I guess... That's probably true of like most of her clients too, right? Or a lot of her clients might also be people with normal jobs and like families, but then, you know, they have this other thing that they go off and do like this guy. That That's really apt because we start the episode with uh, Maria being discovered on the street by a random little couple, right? And so that frames the rest of the episode for us because we could have just started with him talking on the phone and being and having that conversation about, oh my gosh, that woman is Maria. But instead, we check in with Maria before we go to him. Mm. So I, I don't know if we want to kind of go through it sequentially, but one thing I was wondering about is, uh, mm-hmm. so we had that shot of him on the bicycle and the woman with the parasol, and then she turns around and has that kind of same clown makeup on. Yes. And that that made me wonder a little bit like, oh, wait, was he actually the guy who like mugged Maria? Like, was that one just one of his robberies? And uh, maybe it got blamed on the Shonen Bad or something? Well, that is an ongoing, we have theorized a little bit about, you know, is Shonen Bad a real person? And even if Shonen Bad is real, are all of the assaults Shonen Bat's doing because we get the first assault with Sukiko where we get her story is that this character shows up and hits her in the head, but she could have just as easily done it to herself. And then we get the next guy, the the journalist, he's struck in the head, but she has that cane, something capable of dealing the same kind of damage that a bat would. And in each of the scenes of people being assaulted, there's some other object which could have mimicked the bat. Like when Ushi gets attacked, uh, he's carrying a palm tree which Ichi could have picked up and hit him in the head with. Yeah. Well, and then I guess kind of maybe from this episode, supporting the other side where there's something like supernatural going on or whatever. We did have, as like Blix had pointed out, when the mask fell, it like forms... Marumi's face and that's like mm-hmm. right before the character gets attacked in this episode and we had another thing of like him wishing for something to happen right so in this case he's like wishing that someone would stop him from going around and attacking all these people and robbing all these people and that's right when Shonen back comes right so that sort of goes along with people needing some kind of out and wishing for something and then this thing 
happening. Of course, then we have like what you think is going to happen doesn't end up happening, right? Because unlike the other people, he doesn't get knocked out. <laughs> and then throws the shoe and <laughs> chases down this kid, uh, which I love. So Yeah. yeah. And the kid, is he, uh, I kind of get the feeling he's not like, he's not shown in bed. He's a, a copycat. He's someone who saw like mm. this going on in the news and was just like, I'm going to do that too. Like kind of like how you mm. get uh, copycat serial killers. Like he's just mimicking something he saw. Cause there's something weird about him. Is that just oh, because of like where we are in the season? You're like, Oh, this can't be it. Right. Because we're only on episode four of 13 or what, what makes you think that he's not the real, well, he doesn't look like the, the first attack. Like uh, what hmm. we saw in the first attack. Interesting. He doesn't really look like, if I'm remembering the first episode wrong, he doesn't really look like what she was talking about. I kept placing it towards, uh, I think the kid from the second episode looks more like uh, Shonen Bat than anyone else. But it seems like every time we see him, isn't he like different? Or am I just hmm. think like remembering that wrong? Or is the paranoia getting to me too? <laughs> well, the visions we get of Shonen Bat are quite different. There's the sketch that Sukiko made of yeah. him. And then there's the public image, which keeps morphing as the public gets more information. I, yeah, my memory of it is like we saw him and he's very shadowy, but we did see him give like a little kind of weird grin the way this kid gave like a little bit of a weird grin. Yes, this is the first or this is the most detailed shots or most time we spent looking at the bat. And I love the way the bat is bent. It's so specifically mangled. Yeah, like a dog's like leg. Like a dog's leg. Oh, um, oh my gosh, Maromi the dog. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't made that connection too. And we are getting these little, you know, we only check in with Sukiko at the beginning of the episode. She's watching a report from a news network and then she loses con- or she loses possession of her Maromi doll. We don't get to see if she gets it back, but it's just kind of lost in the shuffle of people. But again, we're just getting little tidbits of Tsukiko, but Maromi is more present in the story than Tsukiko is. There's a couple that finds Maria at the beginning of the episode. The woman is wearing a Maromi t-shirt. And then, like you said, Hirokawa, the uh, policeman uh, who's robbing people, when his mask falls down, it looks like Maromi again. And I was wondering, like, why does he have a pink wrestling mask? Because I know... There's a pretty large subset of uh, uh, wrestling performers in Japan. They have their own like scene for it. Mm-hmm. But like, why does he specifically have a pink mask? And probably just to tie everything to Maromi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the pill also the same like color? Mm-hmm. Like, pink and, yeah, pink and yeah. green as Hiromi. Oh, and the cabbie mm-hmm. also has uh, actually like a little Hiromi action figure hanging from the. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I do agree with Nate that. Um... There's something different about this little slugger, Golden Bat. They just gave us such a detailed shot of his face and everything. We got to see his eyes too. Like, yeah, like clearly, like what he looked. For a like. second there, it looked like he had yellow eyes. Gold he did eyes, have yellow eyes. Bat, yeah, hold <laughs> everything. Which, which that was one of the urban legends that was spreading in the earlier episode. That like some sort of mm-hmm. made up for fun was like. Oh, what if his eyes are gold too? And then when they're, I, I guess it's when they're uh, vandalizing the kid's president campaign poster and then his mm-hmm. eyes are gold after that on the poster. Yeah that, yeah. that makes me think more that he's a fake. He's someone who's just like hearing like the rumors and is modeling himself like after like what everyone thinks little slugger looks like. Mm-hmm. 
So do you think there is a real little little slugger? No. Or do you think that something happened, a story propagated, this kid decided to become that story? Yes. Kind of like Slenderman. Interesting. He found an, something mm-hmm. of an urban legend and decided he was going to be it. Did anyone here see The Wire, old crime show from the early 2000s? Mm-mm, never watched it. Heard it's great. It is. It's really great. I mean, that's another story where like there isn't a real killer. Like There's these journalists that manufacture a serial killer to sell newspapers and there's since there's so many people that benefit from that they like pad it a little bit there's nothing yeah supernatural about that story but um i was wondering about how supernatural this story is actually going to end up being like the scene where uh the maromi doll gets lost like that felt like saying like it's getting away from her Hmm. right like the story's taking a life of its own or um, police guy, you know, the, the camera was so fixated on their own mascot in like every different angle and shot during that first scene. Um, that felt like, I don't know, maybe this guy has his own tulpa hmm. that uh, like energy is getting poured into, which would then start to be like a supernatural thing again. But Or, or mm. like the, the police can't escape the influence of stuff like this either. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if um, Makabe, who is the mobster, the one who threatens him and demands that he keep paying, I wonder if he will make another appearance in the show. I don't know if he was just supposed to be a hackneyed, you know, mob boss who kind of fits the narrative that Hirokawa is living through because he's in, imagining himself as this manga protagonist. But Makabe does so a couple of really interesting things. He has this like third eye marking, like the dot on his forehead. And I was like, I don't know what that could mean if it's like specifically a religious marking or or if it's supposed to signify something about this character, like he's, you know, a priest position or something like that within the narrative. But he burns a, a mark onto uh, Hirokawa in the same place. I didn't know if that was like, oh, this happened to me once. Mm. So now I'm just repeating the cycle. You know, I was once a lonely mob boss or a a policeman and now I'm on top. So I get to do it to other people. Or if he's somehow like, I don't know, imparting something to Hirokawa. I think he's going to be our next main character. You think so? That's just been the trend of these episodes. That sounds awesome. You just want to see him get smacked in the head with a bat. (laughs) I'm trying to remember now if he's in the interest stuff. He's one of the characters there. There's uh, some commentator guy that we haven't seen yet. That's true. But he uh, he also has this great line. He says, Mr. Hirukawa, let me remind you of an ancient saying. One's happiness is built upon someone else's suffering. For your wife and daughter, someone else has to suffer. You understand. Yeah. Like your wife and daughter for this new life that you want to mm-hmm. give them, someone else must suffer. I think he's alluding to like you and the people you rob must suffer. But as a point, like modern society, if if you live in especially the global north and if you live in like a well-off area, most of the resources you have access to, they were taken from other places and people. Someone mm. else had to suffer for your, you know, our comfortable lives. Oh, I was wrong, by the way. The uh, the person in the opening credits is uh, the old person that got hit by a car mm. and like been scrawling things on the ground, which that's what we didn't see in this episode, right? Yeah, we didn't get a, anything in the hospital, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he uh, appeared. You you said before that uh, the cop may have just made up his family. 
right? Like they're not real. Yeah. What if they are real? He was divorced and him like building this new house is his way of like trying to get them back. Why would he just build that house for an imaginary? That'd be really fucked up if he's just building a house for an imaginary family. I think he's like trying to like get his family back. Like, this is him like showing that he can be a man because that seems to be the theme for him it's like oh, proving yeah he's trying to prove that he's manly and he can provide in the beginning i kind of felt for this dude but the more you watch him you just kind of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but i feel like he's just trying to like prove that he's a man and he can provide and he can be that person for his family and that's him like building this house like that's his his end game because mm-hmm. he has to justify it to himself because yeah. Way before the episode, before he's robbing people with this mask on, he is extorting mobsters for money and time with prostitutes. That first scene we see him in where he goes to the first mob boss, who I think's name was Handa or something. Mm -hmm. That guy does not like him. He's like, you know, suffering him. And and I assume that he's taking bribes from these people because he knows about the prostitution ring. Yeah, there, there's a line when he's in the car with that um, Makabe later where he's like, oh, I'm sorry I squeezed Hanada for too much. And then like the Makabe is like, no, it's not about that anymore. Like now you're just <laughs> like on the hook and like robbing people for me and like here take these drugs yeah an interesting thing to offer him drugs and he's like this will banish all of your fears don't worry about it it's got to be like amphetamines or something something that would hype you up and get you to not care uh and one more thing i just wanted us to talk about is the the final people he robs you know that one is very disturbing and intimate it's not just like quick and kind of funny because we're watching this bumbling buffoon rob people instead he like ties these people up he like duct tapes their mouths he it's a really visceral awful home invasion scene especially you know a home invasion can be super scary because someone probably has a weapon they're taking your stuff but if that person also seems completely unhinged like they're not in control of their own actions, it could be that much scarier, right? Because presumably they want the money, but what if just something sets them off and they want to cut me or whatever? So it's this really awful scene, but the money he steals from them, they specifically say, I've been saving that for 20 years. It's our money to buy a house. And you're just like, oh, you know, he's already has a whole bunch of reasons to hate himself, but he's completely in this manic state. Otherwise he would realize like, this is everything I hate. Like, I want to buy a house. How could I take away someone else's dream of that? And that's when the daughter comes in and has this awful, like that. there's that wonderful shot where he like turns on the flashlight dramatically and then it just goes downhill from there. Yeah, yeah. It's like the escalation of like how awful he is is happening like very quickly there. And it's like, you know, like mm-hmm. the literal example of like the you know your your dreams are built on someone else's suffering like these people have the exact same dream as you and you're robbing them absolutely yeah they act as a perfect mirror because they are the story he's telling other people and himself it's a husband and wife and like a 17 year old daughter so uh, uh there was one last thing i wanted to remark on in this episode and that's the, uh, be, uh because this is the first time i noticed the pattern is that we have these wonderful animation style changes um, in each episode where there's one style to the show, but then at some point in it, we will get, uh, in each episode, we get a style change. And in this one, we have kind of two because it keeps going back and forth between the manga and the regular style. 
But when he has his psychotic break, when it's like kind of the point of no return, that's when he sees the vision of Maria on the street and it gets Mm. all grainy and black and white. And from that point onwards, he's like totally engrossed in this manga leads story. He's like referring to he's speaking as that guy now. He was soliciting Maria, right? Yes. And and he was like asking for her number and stuff, right? Like he was the one who's trying to push the, the boundaries of the relationship. That's creepy. Yeah. And this, uh, in previous episodes, like when Ichi had his psychotic break, that's when the animation style changed and it was that creepy too close, everyone bending at odd angles. Yeah. I like that they're all different. Uh, what's the kid's name in the, the second episode? Ichi or Ushi? Ichi, the one who's running for class president and now everyone hates him. All of his psychotic episodes, like everything is all warped and kind of cartoony, like how you would imagine a kid's. Yes. Like if they're having an episode or how they would daydream or imagine something. I like how everyone is like slightly different than the others. Uh, Maria, uh, Hiromi, was there an actual animation change or was it just her hearing the voice like all the time? I think there's a style change when she confronts Maria. It's not as drastic as Ichi's style change, but I think there is a style change in the scene where she's you know, pulling herself through the streets. Are these style changes, like, do they reflect something about the characters? I mean, with the uh, police officer, when it went like sepia tone, it kind of reminded me of the manga. Yes. I mean, he sees things in black and white. He's Mm -hmm. a family man, so he's a good guy, you know, and nothing that anyone shows him is going to convince him otherwise. Whereas Ichi, he saw a bright, colorful world where adults were way too tall and too big. So yeah, I, I definitely think it it shows something, uh, like Nate was saying, it shows something about the character themselves. Okay, so we are 15 minutes past the hour. Do you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, everyone at 131. All right, three, two, one, play. So everyone... No. <laughs> Did you see that coming? Okay. <laughs> He's shown in bat? Like he actually is shown in bat? Like I haven't seen beyond this episode, so there's definitely stuff I don't know, but there's some stuff that isn't accounted for. So like we got three people to ID him. Ichi, Harumi, and Kawazu, or whatever his name was, the the journalist. They all identified him, but Sukiko has not identified him. And Sukiko was not part of his story. In fact, Mm -hmm. the journalist wasn't part of his story either. He starts his story with Ichi in the second episode. And when the journalist comes in and identifies him, he's a little quick to identify him. And then he's like, so give me more information for my story. He's talking to the detective. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's him. But tell me more about what's going on in the case because I need to start writing. So, so it sounds like you're saying it might be a, a copycat or something like that. I'm not willing to rule that out yet. Yeah, I was struggling to like, I felt like the detective in this, the older detective, because the whole time he's like struggling to follow the story because they keep going into the whole gaming aspect. So I was kind of feeling for him, but like, and I didn't even realize that they don't mention the first chick <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> Yeah. And and in one of those early episodes, we did have this news report where they're talking about like, oh, this like new generation of young kids, um, you know, they can't separate reality from fiction and like they're playing all these video games and stuff like that. 
So now we're seeing sort of like also the the manifestation of that, right? What it would look like if it if there actually was this kid running around the world who literally thought he was in a an RPG or something. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. It seems like a very specific RPG to me. It's it's reminiscent of the of uh, Dragon Quest or we got in America on NES, we got the first Dragon Quest as Dragon Warrior and his armor is very, very similar to the cover art for that game. I, the, I mean, the, the fantasy does seem very much like an homage to several different things. Even the music was kind of giving me the like the same vibe as like the, the battle music from Final Fantasy VII. Oh my God, it's so good. And then, you know, we're all, all these characters, all these, the victims so far, they're all character creators. And now we have the perpetrator who may in some way be a victim himself. We don't know yet, but he's also a character creator. I thought the the guidebook he had was for like a tabletop RPG, but the more we went on the episode, it seemed like it was specifically supposed to be like a console RPG. Yeah, like one of those like walkthrough guides. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And in the previous episode, we got the lead detective, Ikari, asking, why do people commit crimes? And I was like, money, you idiot. Like, that's 99% of the time. That's why someone commits crimes. But sometimes there is a different reason for committing crimes when they're like crimes of passion or or someone having an episode. And this is, you know, he asks for why people commit crimes. And then in this episode, we get the example of someone who's not after money he's on a holy quest and, you know, he's living in his own world, but in some ways he is embodying this higher purpose. Mm. So let's revisit what Nate was saying earlier. Like, mm. is this kid golden bat? Is he little slugger? I don't want to say he was. So at the end of the episode, they showed the old woman, right? And they believe that she may have some connection to the kid. Well, in the first episode, mm-hmm. she's there. Like we see her, homegirl passes her uh, while she's still walking, and then Golden Bat attacks. Yes. I don't know. Like, is there a connection between those two? Like, did she kind of like send him on this holy quest to go around cracking people in the skull? I have a theory. I think the kid is just incidentally Golden Bat. I think he's just lost in his fantasy world doing what he's doing, but he's certainly not the engineer of the connection between all these people. Right. Mm. So it's still could be supernatural that there's something uh, guiding in an unnatural way what is already naturally in the world. Kind of like a Jason versus Freddy's. He's like the vessel that the. Or sorry, what were you saying? um, I was saying kind of like a Jason versus Freddy situation where Freddy needs Jason to get people to believe in him. Start killing people so that people start believing in Freddy again. Yes. Uh, and what were you saying, Ben? Well, I was saying like maybe he's sort of like the vessel for the tulpa or whatever. There's this other thing going mm. on and he's just like the person that can be easily manipulated into accomplishing whatever needs. And he he was saying something about like these prophecies, right? Right. Which we have kind of at the end of the episode, these prophecy segments where the old man says stuff and then... In the early episodes, we had him sort of predicting these numbers related to who was going to get attacked and stuff, right? So are his prophecies somehow connecting with like this kid's prophecies? Yeah. I wonder, is he feeding them to the kid directly somehow? Because they, when they go deep into his fantasy, the scene that stuck out to me the most is where they go to this tower and find the old man or some version, fantasy version of him. Um, the tower itself 
is kind of reminiscent of the hospital. And one, we get the old man at the top who in the real world is prophesying these things. Um, and the the golden batter or uh, what is the kid's actual name? Kazuka. He seems to already have a relationship or have heard of this guy. Right. And number two, there's this really interesting thing where the older detective, Ikari, he's he has to run up these stairs and they both Ikari and the younger detective, they end up in the same place at the top. But the younger detective, he gets there much faster because he starts speaking the language of the kid. You know, the older detective is like, this is so useless. Don't feed into his fantasy. Whereas I feel like a therapist might be like, well, actually, that might be a good place to start to establish some trust and a baseline. Yeah. The older guys, he's like li- literally and figuratively trying to keep up. Exactly. Yeah. I wondered if this is the uh, inspiration for the uh, community episode. Oh, um, the claymation one. <laughs> it's like a very similar plot where like Abed, Abed is having these delusions and the psychologist comes in and he's like, no, let's play along with this. And then, um, but it, it's a very similar dynamic of like the people who are playing along versus like the people who are like, what are we doing? What's going on? Yes. Oh yeah. At one point, Dota, uh, Annie and Troy like start to like really get into it. And it's like, yeah, like this is, we're helping Ovid. Like we're, they start really getting, and they just start beating the <laughs> shit out of the, <laughs> the, the therapist. It's a really good episode. So there's this um, sign about the Mi Jolt tribe, creatures with short stature, that live by recycling city wastes. The words are littered with lies, but some fragments of the truth are also hidden in them. Be cunning and retrieve only the important information. <laughs> mm. Oh, so that's the description of the the fantasy character that looks like the old woman that flashes on the screen at the end? I also feel like that's almost everybody in the show so far. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But they're, but they're recycling in the short stature. Oh, sure, sure. Like, yeah. So... The first three episodes, we had talked about how like trash bags show up in all of them. Uh, did we get any trash bags in four and five? I was trying to remember. Um, in four, I don't remember any trash bags specifically, but um, the bags uh, in several of the robberies, the police officer, he takes the bags of people and they both are the evidence of his crime. But because the bag is concealing the money or something, they're also his story. Like the, the Ikari, when he takes him out to beer, he's like, Oh, what, what's with the bag? Is that your daughter's? And he's like, Oh yeah, it's my daughter. She left it here. And I'm, I'm just bringing it back to her. Mm. Not a trash bag, but again, like this bag that both contains the treasure, but is also you know, kind of obfuscating the story. Hmm. I, I did notice this time around that um, at the end, when you see like the old guy wearing the suit on the moon, mm-hmm. like the whole floor is like littered with trash bags there. Oh, or like the ground of the moon or whatever. So there's something going on with trash bags, but I have no idea what. <laughs> so the old woman, is she Goma? I don't know. It says that she's going to have the um the identity of goma who okay. goma really is and maybe she'll be it but i also think maybe you know she was there the night of the first attack on sukiko cuz i think goma might be like sukiko or it might be maromi cuz like maromi even more than sukiko is everywhere in this story this little mascot appears in a whole bunch of places where 
you wouldn't think it would be important to the story. I don't remember Maromi in this one, though. Is it there for every attack? Some avatar or some semblance of Maromi is connected with every attack. I don't know if there's a Maromi in every attack, but like in the last episode when Maria is found uh, after her episode, when she gets hit by the bat, the young woman has a Maromi t-shirt on. Like inexplicably, there's no reason for it unless it's part of the narrative, you know? Hmm. So this, the butterfly princess, Mm -hmm. like the kid calls her Goma too, but she's not. Well, he believes that Goma is not a single entity. It inhabits these people. And that's why he is attacking them specifically. So yeah, like whenever he sees this red aura around people, Goma is present. But he says something too. It's something connected to their like emotions, right? It's like they are suffering and need saving or something like that like he's like i guess saving them by killing the goma that is inhabiting them yeah so maybe goma is mental problems or or mental instability yeah or or it kind of lines up with that thing of like oh it's like these people that are all in need of something right in that moment Mm -hmm. that he shows up and attacks them right it's like maybe somehow he is sensing something is like off with them yeah emotionally or whatever and like he's actually right (laughs) this is actually somehow helping them yeah and you know a lot of times we find people that are inhabiting two worlds and they're having trouble reconciling them but he's not like that he's fully inhabiting this holy warrior persona there's not a point in the episode where he drops it or like admits that to anything beyond what's in the game So maybe he has, you know, he's in this like psychosis, but maybe in that psychosis, he finds his own clarity and he's trying to give that to all these other people. Wars are something that people see. It's like a type of synesthesia and it's pretty rare, Hmm. but there are kind of people walking around the world that just see these glowing outlines around other people. And yeah, didn't Jimi Hendrix like taste colors and and see sound oh yeah can you tell us what uh synesthesia is ben just for any audience members that might not know yeah i mean so it manifests in a lot of different ways i think the most common one is seeing colors around letters and words Mm. but then yeah like some people they might see visual representations of music or see numbers as like like they have associated personalities and things like that like they're sort of like a lot of different types of it, but usually it's kind of a crossover between one sensory modality or another. Though I guess in the auras, it's not, it, they're sort of both visual, but like something about the way maybe you process people and things to do with them, you see this sort of visual manifestation of them. And um, I think usually like the same, you know, if you see the same person, they'll have like the same aura. It's kind of like consistent over time, um, but different people might have different. Um, and yeah, uh, Jimi Hendrix famously had uh, synesthesia. There's some Jimi Hendrix quote. I can't. Maybe it's apocryphal because I can't remember where I got it. But it was he was talking about being on acid and spe- and feeling bizarrely normal. <laughs> <laughs> so what you what do you two think now? Have you changed your tune? Do you think he is a copycat or do you think he's the real shonen bat that he started all of this no i don't even know anymore <laughs> the, this okay. past all episode right. just kind of flipped everything i thought on its head I'm, I'm starting to lean towards he might be shonen bat but that's only because uh i don't think he's just some kid like copying something he 
I think someone is might be like might be influencing him, um, and he may have okay. some connection to the old woman leading back to the first episode. Right. But man, honestly, this 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 last episode kind of messed me up. I don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> yeah, and its placement is strange, right? Because you'd expect to find this as one of the final episodes of the show, right? And it's such a like stylistic departure too. Mm-hmm. Like they have all been like kind of like, you know, their own standalone episodes that have their own kind of concepts. But yeah, we just went from like a modern whatever to just like this one basically like fantasy episode. Yeah. And it's I think it's kind of interesting that he doesn't call himself Shonen Bat. Mm. Like he may be embodying this tulpa or this persona, but he calls himself Holy Warrior. I'm still going with my my original theory that this kid is not concerned at all about Shonen Bat or any of that stuff. And is just doing what he does mm. and is uh, you know, just circumstantially tied to this story. And like, I think the people who ID'd him also, I don't think they're really IDing him. I think it's convenient for them to have a real mm. Shonen Bat. And they're just piecing everything onto him. Like mm-hmm. they're kind of forcing the narrative. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this is him. You know what I'm saying? He's got this, this, and this. We don't need to look into anything else. We got our guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting. I guess we saw like, um, like he's describing seeing these people with red outlines and how they're Goma. And then we mm-hmm. see on the screen, we see um, like that kid Ushi carrying the tree Mm-hmm. But like, what are we seeing there, right? Like, is that the detectives imagining it? Like, I like I was kind of thinking, oh, this is his memory of him perpetrating that attack. But like, we don't know that for sure, right? Like, maybe that is the story that the detective is imagining as he's describing his experience, right? He never says anything explicitly about yes. a palm tree or Ushi oh. or any like details relating to those crimes. I just went back to that scene. The boy isn't saying it. The detective is narrating that. He's saying, you saw this. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's very convenient for the detective too. Oh, yeah. And the detective himself in the last episode and in this episode, he says to the younger detective, he says, you know, what are we? We're detectives. What do we do? We look for the facts as if there are these objective, true things, these, these facts you can pull out, right? But I was reminded of something we went over in Lane. There was this really cool quote about like individual points in time. They don't line up by themselves. We make them line up. You know, those individual points are anywhere in time, but we draw a line through them. And the way we do that is narrative. We create a story to make sense of our world. Mm -hmm. In a way, that's the only way we make sense of our world is by maintaining a coherent narrative. It's funny you should say that. Hmm. So for work, uh, we get a lot of reports from uh, clients like telling us about like incidents that happened, like, hey, this happened. And we have to get them to walk us through it. And, th- and this is you're, you're working security stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an analyst. The story that you're getting from people isn't always necessarily in order because they're like either heightened emotions or it happened a couple of days ago and they just didn't remember. And now they're trying to explain it. Or they're just really bad at explaining things. Sometimes you'll get stuff in the beginning that happened like towards the end. So you spend a lot of time like picking up key information, especially if you get them to repeat the story twice. You got to pick up key information and see how it lines up in their timelines. A lot of the time you're not even going to get like Mm -hmm. uh, the information. Like you have to really listen to this. It's always good to have like at least like four or five witnesses so you can like piece together your timeline. Getting all the information from one person is 
always it's like almost always going to be like a little like mingled mm -hmm. so when you're saying like picking out those key things like that's something we're taught like find those key things that we know are fact because we can't just say hey this thing that they thought they saw or anything like that is fact grab the stuff that is fact the thing that's repeated the most you know what i'm saying that you know happened and build from there which sucks i it, a lot of headaches <laughs> <laughs> a lot of headaches <laughs> I sort of feel thinking about this episode a little more, maybe like we're sort of getting like a a false confession or, you know, like they're potentially collecting this evidence, you know, from oh, yeah, this guy definitely... who's just sort of like unstable and can't really like mm. defend himself or explain that he didn't do these things. And, you know, he'll end yeah. up getting pinned with these crimes. It's definitely mm. like the detective is leading him, like he's guiding him through his own narrative. Like anytime it seems like the kid is going off uh like off into some like weird fantasy thing he's like slapping him back into like what he thinks the reality of it all is and that might be mangling the story a bit so it's making it easier for him to pinpoint everything just on this kid right and we know that this case is making the older detective ikari lose his grip yeah. on maybe just his emotional composure but maybe like reality itself maybe he's gonna have a psychotic mm. break because we learned in these last two episodes that he quit smoking are you smoking yet and now he's back. We don't know like how long the quitting process was or whatever, but in this episode, he picks up cigarettes again. And that means like he's has major stressors in his life that are interrupting that quitting process. Hmm. Uh, and man, now that I think about it, I never thought about detectives in that way before, but they create a story, right? Like you go on this fact finding mission, but to pin a crime on someone, you have to come up with a coherent narrative. Yeah. And even like you can even extrapolate that to the courtroom too. A, a prosecutor or a defender, all they're doing is coming up with the more believable story. Yeah. Using the tidbit of like facts that they do have to like <laughs> make it seem true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's kind of sad. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we all are doing that. We're all making a story up in our heads. And someone with synesthesia, they're doing the same thing, but they are getting different data points than we would looking at the same thing. Hmm. Um, and like you could say any two people looking at the same thing get different data points. It's just more noticeable yeah. when there's a neurodivergence that you can point to. Right. I guess mm. no one ever like see things the same like we could all be in the same room watching the same thing and still pull different information from it like what you pick up and notice yeah amazing that's the thesis statement for this podcast baby this is how we understand things <laughs> oh sure. god sorry ben i cut you off well it, no it just yeah and that's an experience i've had a lot of times especially watching some of these shows are so dense like there's just so much information that you like yeah. you watch the episode twice and the second time you're just like wait what and like there's like a three second thing that you just have no memory of it having happened and it's it's wild i don't know oh totally so we don't have any other big thoughts for the episode can i ask i haven't watched forward yet so i can't confirm or deny anything but can i ask nate and blixa where do you think we will go in these next episodes do you have any predictions um like I said, this, this episode kind of <laughs> flipped all my theories on its head. I think the old lady, I think she might be the villain. And she oh. like she might be the one like coaxing this kid into like doing this stuff. And he she's just using him to like I don't want to say there's a supernatural element, but she's using that kid. She's making him like act on these like act like assault people for, for something. I don't know what it is, but I think she's using the kid to for her own means. Mm-hmm. 
I think uh, the old woman is like a witch or something, and like everyone is their own curse. Like she's capitalizing off of people's like moral failure, and like maybe that's what powers her magic. She's like cursing a society that has left her behind. Uh, she's uh, basically garbage to society, right? Hmm. Oh my gosh. There's this, oh my gosh. Yes. That, that makes the theming of the trash bags really coherent. And there's also these talk in these two episodes about, well, in all of them, but specifically in these two about generations and thinking like, are we giving the world to the next generation? Are we doing it in time? Are we doing it in the right way? But also how does the passing generation feel about everything? And we have two prominent members of that generation, and that's the old woman and the old man. man. And they're in Mm -hmm. similar but disparate situations where the old man is cared for, but he actually has less autonomy because he's stuck in this hospital. The old woman is less cared for, but she can govern her own movements more than the old man can. And in a way, they are both supernatural. One of them is making prophecies. The other one is inhabiting people's imagination, if not other things. Yeah. You can put that same thing on the two detectives too. The younger detective is having a much easier time figuring things out while the older detective is struggling the entire time, like to the point he's resorting to like smoking again and whatnot. Like, Okay, so maybe the old woman is a yokai. Like a lot of yokai have weird powers. Like uh, there's a character Megami and she has to catch you in a lie and when she confronts you she's trying to get you to lie about the lie and if you lie about the lie that's what grants her her power uh, and then, then you're fucked but um i just wonder if there's something kind of weird and left-handed about this like with that old woman you said if they lie about a lie yeah so like if you call in late for work and you lie about that and then the person confronts you and then you lie about lying the lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, no, I didn't say that. Like, this is what I said. <laughs> Kids, you can only lie once. That's the, the <laughs> mm-hmm. lesson of that story. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, all these people, they've got something shitty going on that they don't want people to know about. Something that they're lying about. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. So maybe they're all, like we said, under the curse of this, this witch or this yokai. And yeah. yokai, just a quick refresher, that's kind of like spirits or monsters in Japanese mythology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Folklore. Okay. Um, I don't know. That's just, <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I, li- I kind of like that because that makes it, it makes me believe that Maria is the dominant personality and homegirl is the one that she just made up, uh, feeling guilty about the life she was living. That was my theory. Yeah, they wouldn't, they didn't, wouldn't agree with me. No one agreed with me. That's crazy. Well, that's why we brought Nate on. So someone would agree with you. Thank you. Okay. Any last thoughts on the episode? Anything that didn't come up that people wanted to come up? I was wrong. I, was, I, was, I thought the mob boss was going to be the next character. Well, we the mob boss may still be the next victim in the next episode. We don't know yet. Because this episode, we took a break from the assaults because Shonen Bat was ostensibly caught. So we don't know if Shonen Bat will continue to, you know, there could be another assault next episode and they have to not let this kid go, but they have to continue their investigation because they're like, well, if he's here and the assaults are continuing, then that means we don't have at least the only assailant. This was a like 
very special episode in Croats. Like <laughs> Maromi wasn't in this and neither was like the old prophet guy. The old prophet guy was as the character. Oh, he was in like there, there. Oh, right, 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 right. But yeah, I'm surprised Maromi didn't show up as like one of the monsters in the game or something like that. Yeah, we do get the opening scene where the these women on the street are uh, gossiping about Shonen Bat. Um, there is a dog that's kind of like Maromi just sitting on the, um, oh. it has the same kind of nose and facial colorations as Maromi, but a regular dog color. I just had a weird thought for a second. Like, what if the old woman is Maromi? <laughs> you know? Cause like, there's this other idea. I can't remember the origin of it, but like, uh, there's an entity and it needs like an artist to like create it. Oh, like a muse that seeks out an artist to mm-hmm. manifest. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that was weird to me was this kid is not in the end credit sequence, right? Hmm. No, yeah. And I don't know if that's just because uh, they didn't want to give away the game until this episode. Because if we show a full picture of him before this episode, it affects how people experience those first episodes. But maybe mm. it's also it's the maybe the people at the end are the victims. They're all like mm. lying, knocked mm. out kind of looking right but they look so peaceful well, the, like <laughs> the old woman is among them well so there goes my theory uh they do look peaceful nate and i think all of the victims when they've come to they've either been happy that it happened to them or they have not like they don't blame shonen bat for anything they're not like mad at him hmm. what's his name was but he didn't get knocked out um, oh yes, that's true. He's also <laughs> a curious case. Who the journalist? Or no, I was saying the um, cop guy chased him down and yelled at him. Because there's a mirroring between the two of them, right? Because Shonen Bat is playing this story of the hero of his own tale, and yeah. so is that cop. You know, he's in a manga, and this guy's in a video game, but it's essentially the yeah. same kind of psychosis they're sharing. Yeah, there's a lot more connections between all of them than. They're pure at first, I think. Mm-hmm. But there is a like a fantasy theme that connects everybody, right? Or at least yeah. some kind of reality distortion. And and I think having a problem but not wanting to deal with it themselves, like wanting for someone else to fix their problem or like the universe to just fix their problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I do think there's something su- supernatural at play. Okay. See, Ben already knows. You've seen the end of it. <laughs> I don't remember it, though. I mean, maybe I'm like, what's it called? Crypto amnesiaing my way into it and being like, <laughs> I have an idea. And then it's just like, oh, I was right. <laughs> throughout the episode, every once in a while, <laughs> throughout the episode, I keep looking to see if like he'll make a face or one of them will make a face. And he's like, yeah. Like, is that what's happening? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Crypto amnesia is like it's like when you subconsciously remember something. So it's come up in um, some like music plagiarism cases where it's like you know someone thinks that they're writing this awesome melody and then like another song that they've heard before has it and they're like fuck like I I swear I didn't know. Yeah, I wasn't trying to plagiarize it. I was trying to write. Uh... <laughs> a comic and I was reading it off to two friends who were writing comics together. And they're like, Nate, this is just American gods. And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? This isn't American gods. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, Nate, your villain is the same. Like, this is American gods. So I went and I, <laughs> I, I got the audio book and I'm like, holy shit, I just wrote American gods. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> now you got to sue Neil Gaiman. I am. Yeah. I'm going to. 
Had you ever read it or watched it or anything? Well, I kind of caught a couple of episodes of the show and people always talk about it. So I guess I kind of incorporated what I was hearing into what I was already writing and thinking like, oh yeah, this is fucking brilliant. No, <laughs> no, someone else is brilliant. I just couldn't get their shit out of my head. I, I, I don't know. I think you should just go with it. Just change yeah. it up a little bit. Everything is a remix. There's nothing yeah. new under the sun. No joke. <laughs> Everything has a prophecy. Okay, well, Ben, in your crypto amnesia what do you think is going to happen <laughs> I, I don't know i don't want to speculate too much i i guess what i'm curious about is you know i think we've been talking about like oh who are the next victims going to be i i like that i mean another victim while the kid is locked up would really eliminate him <gasps> that makes sense in some ways but uh i kind of wonder too if we're going to get less shonen bat attacks now and if we're gonna more loop back to the characters we've already seen interesting where it's just making us take the information that we have and then we realize something that happened in the beginning was 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 the the main thing that turns everything on its head i don't i don't think we're going to get another victim i hope it i hope we don't and it's just like take the information you just got and try and figure it out hmm. nate if uh, uh, people are enjoying the show. Do you have any recommendations for them of other shows or books or anything? Ooh, I highly recommend. This is a book that I'm, I'm recollecting. Shaman Warrior. It's amazing. Okay. The mm-hmm. artwork is incredible. I read the first issue a while back and immediately went back at the comic book store same day and bought four more issues and then kept getting them. I gave them to my friends Roger and Hector as a gift because I was just like, you guys have to read all of this. Um, I am now recollecting it because it's that good. Wow. Shaman Warrior. Go get it where books are found. Uh, Good luck finding it. (laughs) (laughs) Here's something awesome that you'll never find. (laughs) Uh, And then if anybody needed to find more of you to reach out for you to do some art or or to your other stuff, is there someplace people can find you? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at uh, House of Midnight. That's House uh, underscore uh, of underscore Midnight, M-I-D-N-I-T-E. I I used to post a lot of art stuff. Now it's just me being ridiculous. So enjoy. Sign me up. Sounds great. We should get a TikTok. (laughs) I don't know how any of that stuff works. That app scares me. It's for the young people. (laughs) What? I'm the oldest one here. I have a TikTok. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're terrifying me. It's just Blixa Satanica. No fancy underscores. <laughs> I like underscores. <laughs> so let's do this and we'll 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 wrap up and, and everyone can have a great night. This has been really wonderful. It has. Thank you. Thank you for coming back, Nate. Oh, thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Blixa, whenever she's ready, we'll count us in. Or okay. we'll do we'll start us off. Wonderful. Pen. Pen. Cows. Goma! <laughs> it was beautiful. This is my favorite sign off ever. <laughs>